0: Let's turn together to Colossians chapter one, and let's talk together about the greatness of Jesus. We've just celebrated Christmas, and admittedly, a very unusual Christmas in so many respects, but nevertheless, we have worshiped Jesus. We've looked at him in the manger, we've been stunned by that, and this plan of God to rescue sinners from their sins and from the judgment that is to come. But I want us to take a deeper look now at Jesus this morning from Colossians one. I wanna remind you not only that Jesus grew up from that stable and went to a cross, but I want to remind you that Jesus existed long before we meet him in the womb of Mary, and they're also in a manger. You already know that there's a connection from Christmas to Easter, that Jesus was born to die. But I wanna remind you that there's a connection from creation to Christmas, and then to Easter. We're gonna see that Jesus is not only your savior, but see it with me today. Jesus is your creator. So Colossians one, let's pick up in verse 15. He is the image, it's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens, And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him. I say whether things on earth or things in heaven, we're going to consider together some things that every Christian must know about Jesus. When you say, I believe in Jesus, you need to know these three truths that we're going to see together or you have a different version of Jesus than the true Jesus. The first truth we see here is this, that Jesus is God incarnate, meaning Jesus is God in human flesh. We saw it here in verse 15. Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God. How about verse 19? For it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Jesus is, is God in human flesh. The same truth we see in Hebrews chapter one, verse three. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So of Jesus, we're told he's the manifestation of God. He makes the invisible God visible to us. Jesus has the same essence as God the Father, as God the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus could say to his enemies, The Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. This is why Jesus could say to his disciples, I and the Father are one. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now we have a question here. Somebody might ask, Well, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus inferior to the Father? I mean, after all, we saw him during his earthly life, and wasn't he praying even fervently to the Father? Didn't he even ascribe to the Father greater knowledge than his own? No, this is not at all an indication of Jesus being inferior. This was the role Jesus was playing on the earth during his ministry. One scholar said it well, Jesus's subordination to the Father was functional, not essential. In other words, it wasn't a matter of his essence. that He's less than the Father or less than the Spirit. This was a function. He came with a role to redeem mankind. So don't you love it? When you look in Philippians chapter two, Jesus, who is God, is described as emptying himself. He humbled himself to come to the earth. He did exist as God, Our God is a triune God, but he humbled himself. He temporarily emptied himself of much of his glory, much of his power, made himself dependent on the Father in a unique way during his time on the earth. But listen, he is co-equal with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. Let's also make clear that we're not talking about modalism when we talk about this. In other words, this is not the idea that God is sometimes the Father, then sometimes he's the Spirit, then he's sometimes the Son. No, he, he eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have even a hint of this even back in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. When God was creating human beings, he said, let us make man in our image. God speaking of himself, a singular God speaking of himself in plural terms. We're just making the point here, first of all, as we talk about the greatness of Jesus. Jesus is God in human flesh. Secondly, see this with me. Our text tells us that Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. He's called in our text here, the firstborn of all creation. So firstborn, what does that mean? Sometimes in the scripture, firstborn means like we use the word firstborn, we'd be the first in sequence, but that's not how that word is being used here. And I'll show that to you. So this is not the idea that Jesus is the first created being. We're not having the idea from this text that Jesus was created to create no, this just simply means when he's the firstborn of creation, it means he's preeminent over all of his creation. This is the same way that word is used in Psalm 89, verse 27, when it spoke of David. The scripture says in Psalm eighty-nine twenty-seven, I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So of David there, it's not meaning he's the first one in some kind of sequence, but he's going to be the greatest one. Polycarp, one of the early church fathers called one of the enemies of early Christianity, this the firstborn of Satan, just a way of describing. This is like the worst one. This is the ultimate example of a bad one. So that's how this word firstborn can be used and is often used scripturally. So it refers to the greatness of Jesus. When he's the firstborn of creation, he's preeminent He's first in rank. He's first in authority. He's first in privilege. In fact, let me show it to you in verse 18. Same word is used. He's called the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? So he's speaking of his resurrection. He's not the first one ever raised from the dead. We have, even in the Old Testament, we see a prophet raising somebody to life. We have Jesus raising a young man to life, a young girl to life, his friend Lazarus to life. So Jesus not the first one raised, but it can be said of him. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the preeminent one, the greatest one from the dead. So here our text says he's the firstborn of all creation. And then this is described to us, and just let this let this sink in. It's amazing. He's the firstborn of all creation, but look at the text. For by him all things were created. We're talking about Jesus and his greatness. He is our creator. For by him all things were created. Notice this both in the heavens. And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So Jesus's role as our creator is also echoed throughout the scriptures. How about John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4? In the beginning was the word, that's referring to Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now listen to this. All things came into being. Through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus is our creator. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Listen, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. Now, I love this. Notice in verse 16, that phrase, for him. I love this. So yes, Jesus is your creator and he created all things for himself. So again, he's not a lesser being that's creating something for a greater being. He is our creator. He's God and he's creating for himself. But notice what he created, verse 16 also. He created all things see it again. For by him, all things were created in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. There it is again for him. So Jesus created it all, the material and the spiritual. Jesus created the things that are visible to us and the things that are invisible to us. He has created the gigantic and he has created the microscopic, He created human beings and he created spirit beings like the angels. There's nothing that is that Jesus did not create. Now, I want you to behold with me what he created. Just just by illustration, let's just take a look at the universe and just be amazed with me at Jesus. This is so important for us because we just considered him in in the miracle of the incarnation, a baby in a manger. But don't let him stay there in your mind. No, he went to the cross, but know that he existed long before even the manger. He is the creator of all things, including, let's just by example, talk about it, the vastness of space. They tell us that there are 1029 stars that are available for us to see with our naked eyes. So you you could, if you were to count them, others have done it, 1029 stars that you could see with your own eyes. But astronomers tell us that actually in our galaxy, there are a hundred billion stars. Imagine that a hundred billion, but this isn't the only galaxy. They tell us that there are 110 billion galaxies in our universe and all of those stars who made those Jesus made those consider with me just the vastness of this, just the distance to our sun. This blows my mind. It's 90 million miles from earth to the sun. Can you imagine such a distance? My, my head goes fuzzy. I can't compute those numbers. And yet I can be sunburned by something that's 90 million miles away. That's powerful. You can power your home with solar power from something that's 90 million miles away. They tell us the temperature at the, at the core of the sun is 27 million degrees. We're talking about when Jesus is creator of all things in heaven on earth, that's a stunning statement. And he created things as powerful as even just our sun at 27 million degrees. Let's talk about the speed of what Jesus, our creator made. So our earth travels at 67,000 miles per hour in its orbit around the sun. Of course, it takes a year for it to make it around, but 67,000 miles per hour. We don't even feel like we're moving, right? They tell us at the equator, the rotation of the earth is 1,000 miles per hour. Then they tell us about these distant quasars and pulsars spinning at one revolution per second. One of them, they say, spins around at 30 times per second. Can you imagine? So, we're just talking about the powerful things that our powerful God has made. And yes, you were created by this awesome God. And it leads us to praise Him. In fact, it's what David does in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. He goes on to say this, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than God and you have crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So when we consider the greatness of what God made, we should be stunned just like this in Psalm 8. Like, who am I? How do you even recognize me? I'm so small. And yet you have just poured out your grace upon us. So marvel that this great God has saved you. Let's pause here a second. And let's just talk about it. you have a creator. Your whole life you've been told you don't have a creator, haven't you? You hear it everywhere. You can watch television. You're told you have no creator. You go to school, you're told you have no creator. You're just accidental. This is all random. And everybody talks about it like, that's just so. That's just everybody educated knows that. That is not so. And you're not just rejecting the book of Genesis when you say, I don't have a creator. Look, we've looked at Hebrews that talks about, it. we looked at the gospel of John that talks about you have a creator. We're looking at Colossians now. You can go to Romans and see you have a creator. It's throughout the world. You go through the book of Psalms. You are ripping out so much of your Bible. If you, if you go along with the idea, the false idea, The objectionable idea that you are random and you don't have a maker. Oh, you most certainly have a maker and he has a name. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is your creator. And then notice this, Jesus is your redeemer. He's the risen savior. So Colossians 1 now, let's go back to verse 18. He, Jesus, is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So Jesus was raised from the dead after giving his body and blood on a cross to redeem you to himself. Now, that should be more stunning than ever as you consider who we just talked about. Who is this Jesus? Not just one who, whose existence started in the womb of Mary. No, pre-existed all that, eternal with the Father, with the Spirit, the creator of everything we've just talked about. That one humbled himself and became a baby and lived a perfect life in order to go to a cross. That great one to die, to pour it all out to save you. This is amazing. This should lead us to praise. If you ever wonder, do I have any influential friends? Do I have a friend in a high place? Oh, the ultimate, this one came to redeem you because he loves you. Now, this says something about the nature of reconciliation, doesn't it? So how did God redeem you? How did he reconcile you to himself? It wasn't that just God said, you know what? We're not even gonna worry about sin anymore. No, sin is a grave concern to a holy, just God. He can't just go, we're just gonna ignore it. Cannot be ignored, has to be dealt with. And God didn't want you to have to deal with it on your own or you'd be condemned forever. And so in the heart of God, a God who was fully just and has to dispense justice, but he's also full of love and compassion. This was his plan. I will become one of them. Can you imagine? And I will do for them what they could never do for themselves. I will make the blood sacrifice for them. And it has to be a sinless sacrifice. Where are they gonna get a sinless one from among humanity? They can't. I will become one of them. I will die for them on the cross be raised from the dead. This is, this is Jesus, the firstborn, the preeminent one over death. He's Lord over life and creation, death and resurrection. He's the great one. So let, let me just pause here. Does that do anything for you at all? When you consider, whoa, that Jesus, creator Jesus came to save me. That one who went to the cross for me, does that do anything for you? And if not, does that alarm you that that doesn't do anything for you? What's wrong with my soul that I'm unmoved by this God, this power, this love, this grace? Listen, the fact that Jesus would do this for you speaks to the seriousness of sin, doesn't it? I mean, he, he went to great lengths to save us because of the seriousness of sin. And how about this? It also speaks to the mentality of Christ. We've talked about great, he is in power, but think about the humility of Christ. Listen, if you think you're all that, you won't even take out the trash for yourself. You won't even make your own bed if you think you're that important. Well, somebody else will come along and clean up after me. I'm just too important. But here's God, the God of the universe going, I will humble myself. I will become a baby. I will make myself dependent and I will go through this life in order to rescue them. This speaks to his humility. This speaks to his love. Listen, this also speaks to any other proposed way of being righteous. This strips away any other idea. Well, I know how I'll be right with God. Someone might say, I'm just gonna try to be good. A new year's coming up and I'm gonna try to turn over a new leaf and I'm gonna try to clean up my act and that'll make me right with God. No, if you cleaning up your act would redeem you, then Jesus did not to go through this elaborate plan of becoming a man and going to a cross and dying for your sins. You say, well, I'll chant, I'll chant. I'm gonna take up yoga in 2021. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take up some new hobbies and things, new habits And I'm just going to really reform myself. It's going to be a self-help year. Listen, if that could have redeemed you, why in the world would God have become flesh to give his flesh on a cross for you? That would never work. And so that's a serious implication. You need to turn from trusting in yourself or anything that you think you can do for yourself and put all of your faith in the God who loved you so much that he came for you and died for you. So what what do we do with this? First of all, acknowledge Jesus's great identity. When you say you believe in Jesus, is this, the belief, is this the Jesus you have believed in? The one who is God in flesh. The one who is the creator of all things. And the one who died on the cross and was raised from the dead. So acknowledge his great identity. Secondly, experience his great salvation. Make sure you respond to this. In fact, this, this teaching on the greatness of Jesus is in the context of, of Paul giving thanks for salvation. Look look up in a few verses ahead of this, back in Colossians 1, verses 12 and 14. This is the context. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says three things. He says he qualified us. We were once disqualified from heaven we were disqualified from relationship with God and Jesus has qualified us. He's rescued us. The second thing Paul said, he rescued us. We were in the domain of darkness, a slave of sin and of Satan. And Jesus came and set us free from that and he has redeemed us. He has forgiven all of our sins. So embrace him today by faith. Be in awe of him. Give thanks to him. Put all of your faith in him. Surrender to him. And here, here's the final word here. Reorder your whole life under him. Did you notice Paul talked about him being God, being creator, being the redeemer, and he said that he might have first place in everything. And he already is Lord of all things. And there's coming a day when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He already is first, but is he first place in your life? What other place would be worthy of Jesus in your life? He can't be just a small part of your life. You can't treat Jesus like you're the son and, and, and he's just orbiting around you somehow. No, he's the center. He's everything. And so just ask yourself, is Jesus first in my life? Is he first place over my home? If you're a student, is he first place in how I do school? Is he first place how I work? Is he first place over how I entertain myself? Is he Lord? Is he first? That's the only rightful place for Jesus. And our rightful place is trusting him, and submitting everything to him. Let's do that right now in prayer.